Hi there, nature lovers. Thank you for coming back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. It's a pretty special episode this week. We're really excited. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, fascination. My name is CJ, and I'm actually all alone this week. It's CJ in the recording studio. Um, so the reason that I'm alone this week is because this episode was a really, really special one. We actually got a chance to present at the Teen Conservation Leadership Conference. As you may have heard Australian CJ mention last week on our Crazy Cryptids episode. So yeah, so this week we are going to be sharing our presentation at the Teen Conservation Leadership Conference. Before I talk about the Teen Conservation Leadership Conference, I just wanted to mention really quickly. This episode will actually be the final episode that our co-host John Szynski will be a part of. John has decided to move on from the Birdie Bunch to pursue other endeavors, and we're really thankful for all the time, work, and the laughs that he has provided, and we wish him the best of luck as he moves forward. But don't worry, the Birdie Bunch is not going anywhere. We will be back next week and every Monday after this with another episode for you. We are really excited for some of the episodes coming up, and the future is still bright for the Birdie Bunch podcast, so don't you worry. But yeah, this will be John's last episode. So at the end of the podcast, you'll hear me kind of remind you, maybe go on social media, say goodbye to John. Uh, you can see that post on social media. Um, in the coming weeks, we'll be posting about some new episodes we have coming up, and uh, who knows, there may be a new co-host coming soon as well. But for right now, we just wanted to thank you for listening to that announcement real quick. But let's talk about the Teen Conservation Leadership Conference. So the Teen Conservation Leadership Conference is a teen-created event aimed at inspiring teens who have a passion for science, technology, and conservation. Um, in partnership with Lincoln Park Zoo and Brookfield Zoo, this three-day virtual conference featured a variety of presentations on a variety of topics, including... Um, the Birdie Bunch podcast, which was featured in their environmental justice section. We were really, really excited to kind of go back to um, our, our place of former employment with uh, this conference uh, at, a, at a conference that a lot of us helped participate in and plan many years ago. And now it's grown into something much bigger and much more incredible. So we were really excited to present and we are going to use this episode to kind of uh, share what it was like creating the Birdie Bunch podcast during a pandemic and using our skills of heritage interpretation to interpret during a pandemic. So without further ado, let's cut to that awesome presentation. All right, hi everyone and welcome to the Birdie Bunch. We are so happy to have all of you here. My name is Matilda Lally and I'm from Lincoln Park Zoo and I'll be moderating this session. Before we get started, I just have a few reminders. If you have any questions for our presenters, please put them in the chat and we'll get to them at the end. We love having active audience participation in our sessions and welcome all of your questions. The Birdie Bunch is a podcast created during quarantine. In this session, they'll talk about creating their podcast and what it is about. Please take it away when you're ready. Great. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Let's uh, let's get into it, as they say on the Birdie Bunch podcast. <laughs> so for, we're just going to start off with a quick introduction. I'll let Matt start off. 
Mm -hmm. So my name is Matt Valaga. I use the pronouns he, him, his. And uh, as far as my career path goes, I just graduated from Miami University, dual majoring in zoology and environmental science. And um, I will be going back to grad school actually to pursue a MS in biology, but I had spent about, I think Sandra knows better than I do, which is pretty sad, <laughs> but about five or six years, I would say at Brookfield coming through the King Conservation Science Scholars. I was a roving naturalist intern for a brief stint. I was then a, um, a CPA for the program as well. And so I've always been around interpretation and that's why I'm currently at my job here at Leroy Oaks Nature Center in King County Forest Preserve as a naturalist intern. So that's kind of my history. Very passionate about birds too. John. Yes, hello. So my name is John Sosinski and my pronouns are he, him, his as well. Um, in terms of my career, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I also started off in Brookfield, um, was a King Scholar for about three and a half years, I believe. Um, and then I became a CPA uh, about a year after that, once I finished that. Um, and yeah, ever since then, I've kind of just really been involved in the zoo field. I've really been interested in that. I'm currently still a student at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point, um, and I'm going to be getting a bachelor's uh, in wildlife ecology and management by the end of this year, so that's exciting. Um, but yeah, currently I'm continuing to pursue in the zoo field, and right now I'm coming to you from Henry Vada Zoo uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, so that's, that's me. Elliot? Hi, uh, I'm Elliot. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I actually started at Cosley, a little different. Uh, and I did one summer at Cosley, and then I went to Brookfield and was a part of the King Scholars for like a year and a half, two years. And now I'm at Oak and Acres Wildlife Center as an intern. Uh, I go to Otterbein University, which is a small school in Ohio. I'm majoring in zoo and conservation science and bio, and I'm starting my freshman, my sophomore year <laughs> in the fall. And I am CJ. I use they and she pronouns. Um, I graduated from the Illinois Institute of Technology in 2018. And since then, I've been doing all kinds of stuff. Um, I was a part of the uh, Youth Volunteer Corps at Brookfield Zoo, which is what King Scholars was before it was King Scholars. So I'm very old. I'm a relic. And I I've, all, I've been a part of a bunch of different volunteer programs as well. Uh, in, in middle school, I was a part of the Junior Zookeepers Program at Cosley Zoo. Um, I was an education intern at Cosley Zoo. I was an environmental educator at Lincoln Marsh. Um, and now I'm currently a, a scholar coach for the Schuler Scholar Program. So kind of a little bit more removed from conservation. And that's kind of why I, you know, I'm a part of uh, this podcast, I suppose. Um, but the Birdie Bunch podcast, what is that? Kind of an introduction to the Birdie Bunch podcast. We have three pillars here, conservation, education, fascination. You'll hear that from us all the time. And we've recently come up with a, a formal mission statement, which is very exciting. So it is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation using education to promote fascination. Um, so those are some quick introductions as to who we are. Again, if there's any questions, pop them in the chat um, and we'll kind of answer those once we get closer to the end. But uh, on the podcast, if you've listened before, we do have a segment called the creature feature. And the creature feature is a segment that we do every single week where we feature a creature that has some significance to our topic. And uh, Elliot is actually our writing and production assistant here on the podcast. So he's not on air like Matt, uh, John and I are. But this week, he is going to do a live creature feature for you. So I'm going to let Elliot take it away. Yeah, so we thought that for the conference, we would do a special creature feature. And since we're virtual for this, we don't have to wear masks. But our special feature always has one on. Um, 
Raccoons are found throughout the U.S. and they're some of the wildlife that you see most often. So here's a little friend. He's very busy nursing on my finger, so he doesn't want to make an appearance. <laughs> so raccoons are found throughout the U.S. And yeah, uh, he's currently in the care of Oak and Acres, where I'm interning. He was orphaned as a baby and will now grow up at the center until he can be released. So he kind of got the short end of the stick and he's in human care. A lot of raccoons have been able to adapt to living in urban areas. As our world has been rapidly changing this past year, it's important to remember how we've changed the world for wildlife. Raccoons are foragers, meaning they look for food and eat whatever they can find. They used to mostly eat plants, berries, dead animals, whatever, whatever they could find, but their diet has adapted to the modern world. Probably heard people call them trash pandas because of their modern <laughs> dinner spot. Foraging isn't as hard when you're surrounded by the food waste that humans produce. The urbanization of America proved to be beneficial to the raccoons in some ways, providing mass amounts of food for them to eat. It also provides unique dangers though, leading to a lot of orphans like this little guy, who's using me as a jungle gym now. <laughs> all living things are having to adapt to a constantly changing world, not just us. We've altered our way of life a lot over the past year and nature has followed these changes to survive. Being able to adapt and grow is an invaluable survival and growth technique. And today we're gonna dive a little bit into how we have adapted conservation education to fit into the pandemic world. Thank you for that wonderful creature feature, Elliot. Uh, Elliot always does a great job writing our creature features to kind of fit with a theme. Um, as you'll kind of hear in a little bit, we do some uh, good stuff with theming here. Um, so thank you for that creature feature, Elliot, and the live baby raccoon. Very, very cute. Let's get into our main topic for today, which is, of course, interpreting a pandemic. I'm going to let Matt start it off. Yeah, so first of all, um, thank you again uh, to Elliot. Elliot's been doing a wonderful job with all of our creature features. And so it was really cool to kind of see him actually be able to deliver one of his own for once. Um, thank you very much, Elliot. Round of applause for me. Um, as far as uh, how we kind of came to be, so last year around, I'd say about the curtails of May, you know, spring was coming to a close. The pandemic had sufficiently shut everything down, right? We're all locked in our houses. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here when I say that we were all kind of bored and kind of had this idea because originally I know I had wanted to come back and do community education for over the summer. And uh, like I said, the pandemic sufficiently shut that down for all of us. And we were all kind of in this weird little vacuum, this void of not being able to talk about the thing that we love so much, being zoo educators for like CJ said, all of us, like five-ish, six-ish years. And so there was this idea of... Like 12. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> you have us beat a little bit. Um, but there was this idea of how do we reach people? How do we get this messaging out that's so crucial right now in the era of environmental kind of issues that we're in right now? And the podcast was the thing that kind of came to our heads. Um, and so we all kind of came together and fleshed everything out a little bit. Uh, we're really big on puns, admittedly. That's kind of CJ's biggest flair, too, is the puns. And so there was a lot of cycling through ideas of names. And TikTok was one that I put forward because I think it's funny. Um, and so we kind of fell upon the Birdie Bunch podcast, which organically fit into our logo as well. And once we had that kind of brand and all that, we fleshed out how he wanted it to go. So the Birdie Bunch podcast goes, starts out with a creature feature, heads into current events, which we skipped today, 
but then gets into that main topic too. And we realized in looking at all the nature podcasts that are out there that there really weren't any that were generalized. They were all really developed and really niche. And so in order to reach as many people as possible, not even scientists, which is nature lovers as well, we were like, why don't we make this really conversational? And that's where that three-tiered on-air persona kind of came to be. You know, when you're with us, we want it to feel like we're just talking with y'all, right? And it doesn't feel like a lecture. It feels like just hanging out with us. And that was our goal. And that's kind of how the Birdie Bunch podcast came to be. And what's really nice is we have a lot of those topics because we're not niche are so diverse and we've hit so many different people with so many different things. For example, in season one, uh, which started last June, my God, it's over a year old now, which is insane. We kind of hit invasive species. We've touched cryptozoology. We've hit upon our encounters with the natural world. Um, we've had a lot of guests, former zoo folk, uh, friends that we had, especially that CJ and I and John all had either in college who did zoo or environmental work with us. Um, and we also made some friends through the podcast as well, which has been such a lovely thing. Um, I'm talking to you, Freya from Birdability and Krista from the Birding Tools podcast. Um, we have had coworkers on and just so many more people that we've gotten to meet all doing amazing work in the conservation field in so many different ways. We talked about animals in winter as well as holiday traditions that revolve around animals being green, the Endangered Species Act, animal architects. So a really diverse base of things that we've talked about that all hit conservation, education, and fascination. You know, a lot of storytelling, all of that comes into play. And then so far for season two, we've had Black Birders Week. We've had the Birdie Bunch Hashtag Pride, which was a four-week initiative where it took over a whole month to talk about pride-related initiatives and conservation or pride in the natural world. We had our most recent episode, The Wonders of Wetlands, just come out last Monday, as well as we're gearing up for the Spooky Bunch Season 2, which is my personal love, my pride and joy. Um, if you'd like a little highlight of that, this Monday, if you want to tune in, we're releasing our cryptozoology Season 2 little bit of um, a talk, so go check that out. But we've had so many different things to talk about, and I don't think we'll ever run out of things to talk about or people to talk to just because of how diverse our base of conversation points is. All right, so kind of as we mentioned, uh, storytelling and interpretation has always just been something, you know, part of something that we do. Uh, ever since we started working at Brookfield, and even just as we all started either as scholars or in YBC, uh, that was always just a core value that we carried with us just throughout our lives and throughout our careers. And so we, we knew that this would be super important going into this podcast, that it would be such like a pivotal thing to incorporate into all of our content from writing episodes to, I mean, even as you notice with our creature feature today from Elliot, um, that was very interpretive and very, it was telling a story, it was telling a theme. And so we've been trying to incorporate that with everything that we do. And um, you know, we've we really carried that on from just looking at the examples of various interpreters through numerous fields and looking at their different styles and kind of following that and also developing our own personal style as well when it comes to interpretation. And um, like the pictures here with Freeman Tilden and Steve Irwin, those are both figures that we've done episodes on and they're both figures that we really look to as role models, um, not only for just interpretation, but overall just conservation and, and everything like that. Things that we 
have always valued since since we started way back at Brookfield. And as we kind of mentioned at the beginning is using interpretation has always been something to help us make things digestible for, for our audience. So kind of like what Matt mentioned is that, um, you know, there's a lot of like niche and really detailed podcasts out there that really just kind of focus on certain topics or certain species even. Um, but what we wanted to do is make something that was for everybody. Even if you didn't know a thing about conservation or a thing about wildlife, this was something that you could hop onto at any time, no matter what episode we were doing. Every, every episode was different. And um, yeah, just to make it understandable and to make it enjoyable at the same time, because a lot of times there's a lot of like scientific jargon and things like that. And even though we do sometimes use those sorts of terms, we, we want to make it as involved as we can to really make it immersed as if you were in that conversation with us. And I think that's really what oral interpretation is about as well, is that, you know, we really try to get people focused on things and, you know, not to disconnect people at all. It's really just a conversation that we try to have with others. And that's, that's what we want to continue to do. Yeah. So one of the other huge things that we try to focus on is inclusion. And like Matt and John have both said, it was born to spread conservation in a way that was accessible. So we don't use as much scientific jargon. We try to make it so that even if you know nothing about biology and you're, you, you just saw a cool animal and you're like, I want to know about it. You can access the pod. And the cool thing about it being virtual is people can access it from anywhere. So I know last summer I wasn't as involved and I would put in my headphones and listen to it while I worked outside because you can really access it from anywhere. And that allows us to reach people who couldn't traditionally go to the zoo or go somewhere where there is interpretation. And then one other way that we've worked to make it accessible, and this is something that I've hopped on recently, is we've started making transcripts of each episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, not everyone can listen to the podcast. There's people who are hard of hearing. There's people who maybe just don't have the time to sit down and listen to it and would rather read through it like an article. So we make transcripts of each episode. This is started in season two, a couple episodes behind. They'll be up eventually. Um, but yeah, and that just gives another outlet for people to learn the information we're sharing. Something that's been mentioned a few times is this connectivity through quarantine, right? Though the past year and a half we've like been inside, right? Conservation has continued to happen. Every week we update our listeners with current events from all over the globe of conservation happenings. Conservation did not stop when COVID started, right? And educating through the pandemic, especially on topics of conservation, has been difficult for many. And through the deeper understanding of virtual spaces, it allowed for us and many like us to share our passion for conservation, education, and fascination. Last summer, many of you may remember, zoos were closed, wildlife centers were closed. People could not have access to learning about wildlife and nature and conservation. So how was that information meant to spread? Well, that's really part of what are we do here at the Birdie Munch podcast. Over the past year and a half, we've been able to you know, reach more people than ever thought possible. We have over 6,500 downloads from over 35 different countries. We have this massive reach that we never really dreamed, right? We started off releasing an episode one and on John James Audubon. And, you know, it had like 30 downloads from all of our friends and family who we told about it. 
And now we release an episode on wetlands and it gets like a hundred downloads in a week. Like that might not seem like a lot, but to us, like that's massive explosion of growth. And that's really, really exciting for us. So, you know, over 6,500 downloads in, in 35 countries is absolutely unbelievable. So what is in our future? What are we expecting, you know, from the future of the Birdie Bunch podcast? Um, we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up as we kind of teased uh, with like the Spooky Bunch and other topics as well. Um, but new guests is something that I know that we are all looking forward to. We've had some wonderful guests on this past season so far. We've had Taiki James and um, Jeffrey Train from uh, Freedom Birders to talk about Freedom Birders and Black Birders Week. We had uh, Red Weinstock come on to talk about their research with sea turtles and what it's like being a queer person in conservation. And we have some more exciting guests coming up, which I don't want to spoil. But we have a bunch of new and exciting topics in conservation, education, and fascination. Inclusion and community engagement is such a big part of what we do, right? We all come from this background of community engagement. And it is a, a, a pillar of what we do without like technically being a pillar of what we do with conservation, education, fascination, right? Inclusion is something that we strive for with the Birdie Bunch podcast. All we want to do is make sure everyone can be engaged in conservation because conservation at the end of the day affects everybody. We want to be, and we want our listeners to be, stronger advocates for environmental justice and wildlife conservation. And just to kind of reiterate our mission statement, it is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination. Any other thoughts from the rest of the Birdie Bunch team here before we kind of move on? I think you're good to go, CJ. Cool, 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 cool. Questions? We kind of moved through that super quickly. So we have tons of time for questions, which is super exciting. So feel free to pop questions in the chat. Unmute yourself, ask questions. Yeah, whatever you'd prefer. <laughs> I have some questions from the people in the chat. Great. Number one, one of the most important questions is, does the raccoon have a name? <laughs> so sadly, our raccoons do not have names. So I work at a wildlife center. So the goal with all of these raccoons is that they'll be released. So we don't name them because then you get really attached and then you get a couple months from now and you're like, no, I have to go let, let Jeffrey go and you get all sad about it. So only a couple of our animals have names. We have a coyote named Sassy, but other than that, no. <laughs> I'm Makes sorry. sense. Makes sense. <laughs> Um, we have some questions from the chat. Um, Sothic asks, do you have any must-read conservation books? I would say that I do. Um, I know that in season one, we covered an episode on the sixth extinction, and there's a book out there that has the same title. Um, I don't remember the author at the moment, but I would highly, highly recommend that one if you're interested on just kind of um, various conservation projects that are focusing on just overall like loss of biodiversity and stuff like that. Um, it's a really good read. I would recommend that. I know one book that really struck me, uh, I read about four years ago. It was called Last Chance to See by Douglas Adams, who is a uh, pretty famous radio personnel, if I'm not mistaken, maybe TV, TV personality as well. And what it does is documents in each chapter a different species that he went to go see uh, that was on the brink of extinction back in uh, the 1900s. And what it really does is it focuses on the story of the species in each, but also in a way that it doesn't seem impersonal or scientific because he's just 
he's just this kind of dude. And so it's really a good read. It's really exciting to read. And you can see the tangible shift in the way that he views these conservation initiatives based on how he sees them throughout. And it's one that I always tell people who especially maybe want to get into conservation, but don't exactly know if it's right for them. If that's something you're grappling with, like, or you know anyone who is, that's a great one because that was what really pushed me over the edge into this is where I want to be. Like that was really what set it off for me. I uh, I also have a book to recommend. Uh, it, it kind of ties into our month of hashtag pride and it's called Evolution's Rainbow, Diversity, Gender and Sexuality in Nature. Spectacular book. Highly recommend it. Uh, I think I've read it three or four different times now, just in preparation for all of the content. Yeah, I can't recommend that book enough. And I think another thing, too, is that one thing we're trying to start on the podcast is some of those book documentary recommendations. Those are going to be starting to be built into our standard episode as well as on our social media. So I know I have so many books personally that I can't even like there are so many that I'll get home after this today and be like, man, why did I not bring that up? And so like, if you're ever interested, we will be doing that on our social media and our episodes as well. So that will keep coming out too. Cause I know we all love that stuff. Awesome. Thank you for the great recommendations. Another question we have is what is cryptozoology? What a good question. Ooh. I'll let Matt handle this one, but also if you're interested, I'm just going to plug this before I let Matt talk. If you are fascinated by cryptozoology, we have an episode coming out on Monday about it. We highlight six separate cryptids, talk about cryptozoology in depth. So if you're interested in cryptozoology, listen to that on Monday. But I'll Mm -hmm. let Matt talk first. Yeah, cryptozoology, we featured it, I believe, on episode seven of the first season. And it will be episode seven of this season, too, which I think we did on purpose. But if we didn't, that's really funny. Um, We did it on purpose. It's still funny. Uh, But essentially... Cryptozoology is the study of species that haven't necessarily been described by um, the pillar of science. So some examples would be like the coelacanth originally was considered a cryptid. Uh, The coelacanth, if you don't know the story, was this really relic fish that everyone had talked about for a little while, but there was no ever like described instance of someone catching it. It was just kind of like thought to be like the fishermen who lived in the coasts were kind of making this up. And so cryptozoology is stuff like Bigfoot too, or the Jersey Devil or Mothman or any of those things that necessarily, a lot of people talk about them, right? You hear about Bigfoot reportings all the time, but they haven't been described by science. They kind of live in that gray area between the mythical world, the folklore world, which personally I love a lot, the storytelling aspect and the natural world. And a lot of times those are gray lines in between the two, as we talk about on next Monday. I was just going to add to another example of a cryptid that has been discovered in real life was the okapi. Mm-hmm. So if you like okapis, um, that was another species that once was thought to be like this creature of myth, but is actually real. Even the gorilla. Truly. Yeah. Mountain yeah. Gorillas. Awesome. All right. We have a question from Molly and that is what did you do for the birdie bunch pride initiative and what does queerness and conservation mean to you? This is a good question. Uh, I think I'll, I'll handle this one, if that's okay. I'll, Elliot, I'll let you also talk about it if you want to, but I feel like as the two queer people on the podcast, you could probably talk the most about it. Um, <laughs> um, but for, for me, it was a really big part in like showing how we were you know, celebrating pride at, with uh, conservation. 
you know, uh, queerness exists in nature, which is really fascinating. And that's kind of what that book, Evolution's Rainbow, talks about, is it gives you specific examples of, you know, homosexuality, bisexuality, queerness in general, transgender animals, non-binary animals and plants and all these other things. And it just gives you examples of it existing in nature. And for me personally, it was like super validating to like, I don't know, hear that kind of stuff. I don't know. I think that doing the whole month of hashtag pride was really great in a matter of making connections with people. We have a really big following. Uh, and like I said, we have over 6,000 6, downloads and uh, you know, a bunch of people have like reached out to us specifically when we did one episode about uh, queer ecology last year. And that kind of spun into a whole month of pride related content this year. We talked about, like I said, queerness in nature. We talked about um, LGBTQIA plus conservation initiatives, which was really, really great. Um, like I said, we interviewed Ren Weinstock, who is a queer biologist. And then we also talked about why pride matters if you are a nature lover. So if you care about nature, why pride should matter to you. So those were our topics during Pride Month. And I just think uh, it's a pillar of what we do with inclusion. So I felt like it was necessary to talk about. Anything to add, team? Uh, I think another thing to touch on is this is something I learned this past year uh, at school is that like queer people in conservation don't always have the same opportunities or like the ability to be themselves in conservation. So the fact that like CJ and I are able to sit here and we both have jobs and we're both well off and like are able to be out is really awesome. Like I know a primatologist who is queer and he can't tell anyone because he will lose his job. So it's building that awareness and acceptance within the queer community and being like, not the queer community, the conservation community um, of like, hey, this exists, it exists in nature. This should be a thing that we accept in conservation and just building that knowledge base. Matter, John, anything to add? Yeah, I think Elliot hit it really well with that. Um, so much of our access and our reach is able to spread so many ideas across, you know, like we mentioned, not only the country, but the globe and the disenfranchisement of the LGBTQIA plus community in a lot of um, realms, not just the conservation one, was one thing that we all noticed, especially uh, these past couple of years. And so I think it was just like Elliot and CJ said, it was really important to just spread that awareness of it's so easy as a person to look at something and be like, well, that's not really a problem unless you're in those shoes. And so by spreading those stories, spreading these uh, instances, all these different things that we view, it really illuminates a lot of the problems that are built into society right now. And hopefully if someone is aware of a problem that they weren't aware of before, I mean, we would like them to be on the side of inclusion, but you can't be on the side of inclusion if you're not aware of all the instances where it's a problem. And so that was, I think, one of the biggest things is that to really drive it home, this is important and this is happening, whether you like it happening or not. So let's fix it. Yeah, I think it was just a huge chance for us to just embrace just the diversity and the people that listen to our podcast. I mean, from all sorts of backgrounds, from no matter their sexuality, their gender, it was just a huge chance for us with Pride Month to really just get more involved with that. I think, I mean, as the years go on, we're going to continue to do that. We're going to try to do better with that. 
And I think just overall as, as a team, we've been able to just, we've been able to talk about those things and um, just continue to, to support those out there who are listening, who are part of the LGBTQIA community. Um, and yeah, just absolutely doing our best. Amazing answers. Great. Love it. All right. Um, another question is what type of conservation experiences or internships would you recommend to students interested working in the zoology field in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it definitely depends on what certain aspect of zoology or conservation that you're interested in. I mean, I know for me, like I specifically want to be doing zookeeping and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, working in Brookfield was obviously a really good stepping point for me. Um, and that's kind of how, what helped land me this internship that I have now. Um, but I think overall, I mean, the best points that I can, I can give is networking. I mean, I mean, I think even just this conference as a whole is a great opportunity for that. Um, especially just having both Lincoln Park and Brookfield collaborating together to do that. Um, it's a huge chance for, for students and everyone here to just be able to, just to even just have conversations with those who are working in various fields. I mean, I think I can speak for, for our whole team here is that we'd be more than willing to, to talk with any of you if you have any more questions or if you want references or things like that. Um, but yeah, networking is a huge thing that I would recommend. Um, and just seeing, you know, talking to specifically folks who are working in fields that you're interested, whether it's, you know, plant biology or whether it's um, conservation biology or whether if you want to do like restoration work or things like that. Sorry about that. Um, uh, yeah, just any, any aspect of that. Um, is you know figuring out what specific niche that you might be interested in and, and talking to folks who are, who are leaders in, in those sorts of communities. One other thing I'll add too, because it's interesting that we've all kind of taken different routes. Like John's taken that zoo field. Um, CJ and I have both kind of taken environmental education route, but also a lot of my grad research and all that stuff focuses on wildlife biology, uh, field conservation. And I think my biggest spin on this too is I know a lot of you all I are either uh from what I understand of the demographic it's either going to be going to college soon or maybe are just starting college or all of that stuff and the biggest thing that I can advise is if you're going to college for these kinds of fields or even if you're not get to know a lot of the professors who work there uh being a teacher at a university is only half of their job usually the other half is these big research initiatives and the biggest help that I had in college was getting this close relationship with the professor who I started a research project with at Miami and my grad work is continuing on that path of looking at moth biodiversity as to how it pertains to birds. And so the ability to kind of like how John said network, but a lot of these just experiences in general, even if it's not an internship, even if it's not a job, like I can put on my resume owl banding or bird banding certification because of that kind of stuff. Any person that you meet is just another person who can teach you something is what I found. And at the end of the day, that's what we want to do is we want to learn, we want to grow. And that's going to be the biggest aid to you all coming up as conservation workers going forward. The more you know, the better equipped you are to be able to work with the whole entire environment. And it's just it's beautiful. Everyone who works in this field wants to help you because they love it. And so it's one of the biggest parts of my personal development in this career. I just want to add real quick. 
I know a lot of us start in this career, especially as young people with specific visions of where we're going to be, right? When I started in like the conservation field, my big dream was to be like an architect to design exhibits and zoos. That was like my big dream. Like I was set on doing this. Like I was in architecture competitions in high school. Like this was my, this was my plan. This was my dream. And I hated it. I hated it so much. So my only advice for you young people, the youths, as I call you, is just go with the flow. You might not be where you wanted to be, and that's okay. Right now, I don't even work in conservation. Like The podcast is my only exposure to the conservation work, and that's okay. You don't have to be like... Uh, you know, in in Africa doing Jane Goodall stuff because not everybody can be Jane Goodall. I'm not going to lie. But everybody can make a difference. Everybody can do something for conservation. I'm still being able to work with young people and inspire them in the way that I love doing. And it might not be in the way that I had planned, but it's a way that I love. So just go with the flow. Any opportunity you get, do it. All of your answers have been so good so far. Thank you so much. Um, another question we have is, do you have any advice on how to get people interested or curious in less flashy or well-known animals or in more abstract environmental topics? Yeah, so um, as a moth researcher and a passionate bird lover, I think I could probably speak pretty well to that. and. I think that's where that main tenant that we talk about, fascination, really comes into play. Conservation and education go really well hand in hand, but it's a lot of times by the means of fascination. So to us, nature has inherent value. That's kind of the way it always works. And that's not going to be the same way for everybody. My family is full of union electricians. They they didn't know Robin from a cardinal. That's not true. I, I love them to death and they did, but... Um, you know, I got a call one day from my dad talking about how there's this weird bat flitting around at the front porch. It wasn't even a bat. It was a cecropia moth, the largest moth known to North America. And so just kind of hitting those really interesting things that everyone can relate to. For example, the cecropia moth uh, in its adult form and its moth form doesn't eat. It doesn't have digestive parts. It lives for 14 days and then dies. And these are some of the kinds of more interesting facts, you know, not just the standard, everything you have to hit, not everything has to be a lecture. If you can find a connection with somebody, and I think that's the biggest point trying to make here, find that connection. And when you do, uh, that passion in them will be open up to itself. And then that's the other thing, be passionate about what you're talking about. Because if you seem bored, your audience will seem bored too. That's why I'm always screaming and stuff on the podcast because I like to have fun and everyone likes to have fun. I'm going to I'm gonna butcher this quote from Freeman Tilden. I'm going to butcher it. I'm terrible at remembering things as many may know about me. But there's a quote by Freeman Tilden who's one of the like founders of what we call interpretation today. And it's through interpretation, understanding, through understanding, appreciation, and through appreciation, protection. I'm pretty sure that's the quote. And Basically, the gist is, even if I butchered it, it's through educating people about some of these things that are like less interesting, like not the charismatic megafauna that we hear all about. But like, I'm a big herpetology person. If you talk about frogs or snakes or lizards or crocodiles, 
it's going to fascinate them when they learn about some of the cool things about these creatures. That's why we do a creature feature every week, because all of these creatures have value, even if they're not African elephants, you know what I mean? Or they're not lions or they're not bonobos. Like every single creature has value to its ecosystem and they're worth talking about. So educate people. Yes. Pro tip. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, working in rehab right now, I get a lot of native species. And if you like a lot of people like see a native species like a raccoon or a possum and they're like, oh, it's disgusting and I don't like it. And one of the things that I've found is like Matt said, like making that connection and teaching them why it's important to the area you're in, especially with locals and natives. Like, why do we need this? Why is this animal important? And putting it in a way that they can understand. Yeah, I think, especially when it comes to educating about native wildlife, like, and I think for you, Elliot, you're in a really good spot because you're able to, to show them in person what these animals look like and what, you know, what they're about. Whereas, I mean, it's, Sometimes it gets really hard where if you show a picture in a book and things like that, it's kind of a bit more difficult for people to digest. And I think if kind of like what Matt and CJ were hinting at too, is that if you get really more personal about it, if you can actually, you know, I know a lot of people who are like afraid of certain animals, if you can help them to not just simply conquer their fear, but to just kind of help them acclimate to that and to show them that there's, there's not as much to fear that most animals are much more afraid of you than than we are of them. Um, it, it really makes a good point where it's like, wow, like there are things that about certain animals that I had no idea about. And you can, you, you, I mean, all, everybody here, whether you have a degree or whether you're just, or whether you're a high school student or whatever, you are in an amazing position, no matter where you are, because you have knowledge and understanding and you have the ability to just make nature exciting. And that's, that's a really cool thing to do and it's you just you have that opportunity every day and i would just encourage anyone to to just if you if you're just having a regular conversation with family or friends and they you know they see like a snake or a bug or something that looks scary or whatever you know try your best to you know to get them to know that animal a little bit more and make it a little bit more personal for them amazing answers again you guys are just blowing me away all right <laughs> okay since the focus or the podcast is focused on the internet and technology how do you describe the relationship between technology and conservation education? I'd say, especially starting with that, um, starting in a pandemic, uh, technology was almost the foundation of conservation education. And I think technology as it's, you know, we think of it now as gadgets and all that kind of stuff, but like the true meaning of technology is anything that kind of aids you in assisting in daily life and all that. That's what technology really comes down to. And so much of what we work in with conservation, especially me setting out UV black lights and stuff like that, technology is the foundation of conservation work as well as the spread of ideas. And so with this new social media and website and internet driven age that we live in, it allows for the spread of ideas for people to learn like I said, about the cecropia moth, which if you never see one, because they fly at night, you never know it exists, to spread these ideas of invasives and all these things that so many people have grown up with and like illuminate so many things. And I think that's the biggest facet of it is it almost, a, technology is the basis of what we do. It allows us to do what we do. I mean, like literally, like 
we wouldn't be able to have this conference without technology, right? I, I think it's been really beautiful, kind of like I mentioned, like connectivity has never been better than it is right now. Literally, it's never been better. So we are at the peak of being able to effectively communicate with people, especially over these long distances. Like I said, we're, we've been downloaded in over 35 different countries. Like that, I've never been to 35 countries. I've never been to three countries, let alone 35. So like, you know, it's, it's unbelievable the way that technology is able to connect us all. And, And I think both like being a virtual platform and being a podcast, like being able to be downloaded anywhere and also through social media, like that's how we've made connections is through social media. People like bad talk social media all the time. And I think it's really just to put down younger people when social media is literally so great. Like you can make so many valuable connections through social media. Like I've made friends through social media. I'm sure all of you have too. We have grown through social media as a podcast. We've been shared by multiple different other pages who have helped us grow and we've helped them grow. We've made friends of the podcast and they've come to be guests on the podcast and they've, you know, we've been guests on their podcast. Like it's been, it's been interesting and it's been fascinating. And I have been really blown away by the connectivity of it all. All right. Awesome. I have one last question to wrap up this session. Can you guys describe the Birdie Bunch podcast in three words? I do think there's an easy answer. I do think there's definitely an easy answer. I do think there's an easy answer. So to get the easy answer out of the way, it's conservation, education, fascination. Mm -hmm. But I will let us not do an easy answer. I'm going to have Matt go first. No easy answer. Uh, um, I almost said fascinating. And I was like, well, (laughs) um, I'd say probably passionate, welcoming, and... uh, Driven. Driven, I think, would be a really good word for it. Driven. Yeah, I think for me, I would say, gosh, probably exciting, understanding, and dedicated. Ellie, you want to go last? Or you want to go next? I'll go last. <laughs> okay. Um, I would probably say inclusive connection and passionate i think matt also said passionate but i feel like passionate really describes this all very well yeah i feel like i was gonna say passionate too it's a solid word um but i was also thinking community and just fun we have a lot of fun with it you know we do our best to make it fun yeah um i feel like one word that none of us said that we all probably should have was inspirational or inspire because that's also a very good word but anyway lots of words all right so unfortunately this is the end of our session thank you guys so much for coming your presentation was incredible your answers are just incredible inspiring thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come speak with us we all appreciate it so much thank you guys bye thanks so much everybody bye thank y'all thank Thank you. you bye And that was our presentation at the Teen Conservation Leadership Conference. I hope that you all learned something new. I hope that you got to see a different side of the birdie bunch. I know that's what a lot of people said. 
a lot of people were resonating with um, some of the things that we talked about with being queer in conservation, like we did with hashtag Pride Month. So hopefully you're able to kind of learn something new and see the birdie bunch from a new perspective. Just like I said at the top of the episode. This episode will actually be the final episode that our co-host John Szynski will be a part of. John has decided to move on from the Birdie Bunch to pursue other endeavors, and we're really thankful for all the time, work, and the laughs that he has provided, and we wish him the best of luck as he moves forward. Uh, but don't worry, the Birdie Bunch is not going anywhere. We will be back next week and every Monday after this with another episode for you. We are really excited for some of the episodes coming up, and hopefully you all can get a chance to reach out to John on social media, at his social media, at John Zinsky. You can follow Matt on social media at Matt Valiga, M-A-T-T-V as in Victor, A-L-I-G-A, as he likes to say. You can follow me on social media at CJ.Greco. I did get that handle back. <laughs> you can follow all of us collectively at The Birdie Bunch Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We post cut clips. We post teasers. We post a lot of fun stuff. Elliot, who you got to hear a lot from today, has been you know working really hard on some fun social media segments for us as well. So keep an eye out for those. You can visit our website at thepurdybunchpodcast.com, where we have a merch site. Uh, you can buy some really cool merch. Last week, Matt released some really cool cryptid merch. We have some merch coming next week, so keep an eye out for all of that. With We'll actually be doing a fundraiser for Chicago Piping Clover, so keep an eye out. A little bit of a spoiler there for next week. And you can also visit us on Patreon. So on Patreon, we have three different tiers of support. And... You can, uh, you know, with with that support, you get different perks. So definitely look into our Patreon and our website as well. In addition, if you cannot support us financially, we just ask that you try and leave us a review. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you can leave a review for podcasts, we will read it out here on the podcast if you leave a five-star review. So we're really excited to read out a review if we have any new ones. So make sure you leave those reviews anytime you get one to get a chance to. If leaving a review is too difficult and you can't support us financially, the one thing that we do ask from you is that you share this podcast with a friend. We work really hard on this podcast. We're going to continue to work really, really hard as we continue to grow and expand as a podcast and as a, as a conservation community, right? You heard a lot about kind of our goals at the Birdie Bunch today. So, you know, you can kind of see how we're ready to expand and grow and share our love for conservation. So if you love that vision, make sure to share this podcast with a friend. We'd really, really appreciate it. With all of that being said, nature lovers, thank you so much for listening. We are really grateful for you all being a part of our, our podcast and our community. We really, we could not be here without all of you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for sharing your day with us and listening to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would specifically like to thank Sarah Dunlap for creating our logos, Elliot High for being our writing and production assistant, and Connor Whitman for being our music producer. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.